Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet for three years. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of studying ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 80 pounds and I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of my progress through ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Oh, yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nope. Nopity nope nope. Nope. We have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, We yeah. love to cook and we love to eat. In mm -hmm. every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. Ignore it? I dare you. Dare you. So let's start podcast number 71, The Great Salt Fix. So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Uh, last week's show was the steak challenge. Yeah, no, steak I challenge. think the only apology I have is that uh, Brenda's audio wasn't the best because uh, she had a massive storm saw come through and take out a power pole about uh, a block away from her house yeah. and she had no power. So she was sitting there using her phone uh, yeah. with a hurricane lantern. And it, and, and it struck, it got struck by lightning. Yeah, it split the pole. Yeah, and the irony is that she had just upgraded to this massively awesome internet service. She was so ready to use Skype and everything. Oh, well. Oh. She was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brenda. Oh, I know it. Well, anyway, we're going to get Brenda on sometime soon, and uh, she'll be able to show off her fancy new internet. Of course. So let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. This is any diet that puts you in a state of nutritional ketosis, and you can mm -hmm. get there quite easily by limiting carbohydrates to 20 grams per day, and most of that from green leafy vegetables, maybe a few nuts, maybe mm -hmm. a little bit of cheese or some dairy, but you know, not milk or anything, just you know, low-carb dairy. And yeah. the rest of the energy we get from fat. fat and protein scales with your lean body mass. And we're going mm -hmm. on the assumption that we should be eating one to one and a half grams of protein for every kilogram of lean body mass. And uh, yep. there, you know, I don't know, maybe we should change this to a lower number. There are a lot of people out there who think that it's completely good and safe for metabolically deranged people like us to have less protein, but. For now. Yep. Peter Attia says as low as you can get away with, and so does Ron Rosedale. Mm. Dr. Fung says low. Yeah. Uh, and then there's there's also people who say, you know, if you don't eat, uh, you know, th three grams per kilo plus, then uh, you're going to be frittering away to skinny fat. Yeah, so. we know that doesn't happen. Well, what what's worked for us is one to one and a half. That has worked for us, yep. This will get mm -hmm. you at least through the first stage of, uh, of, of fixing yourself. Well, anyway, we get all our energy from fat. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Don't fear the fat. That's basically no. it. It's a great source of energy. 
Yeah. So, Richard, how was your week? And this is funny because uh, we just recorded last week's show like an hour ago. So, how was your week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my my last week was my last week. Um, mm. I actually have another black dog story. Okay. Which I am going to give you this All week. All right, sure. Um, now, we we first adopted black dog in Vegas, and we bought a house in Las Vegas before the property market really took off. And we'd been working on – prior to that, we'd been working on Wall Street – uh, and we'd done okay, so we we decided we we wanted to actually settle down, buy a house, get a dog, and that was and I and for me giving up smoking. So I oh. this all happened within the same month of of March in twenty oh two. Wow. So um so we uh we basically moved in this house and we had this uh, dog that uh, we really didn't know very well. It's my first dog, um so we didn't really have a lot of experience with dogs. Anyway, he at one stage he uh. Injured his tail and had to be on drugs, um, had to be on sort of happy drugs for about uh, two or three weeks. Um, and so while he was chasing the dragon on these happy drugs, huh. uh, he accidentally got loose, uh, got outside the front of the house. And what had happened was one of our neighbor's kids at that time was running across the lawn and Black Dog was standing in the doorway, saw this kid where the, this kid wasn't supposed to be and went and basically herded him back to his house. Oh, that's awesome. Of course, his... Father freaked out and, uh, we got the, he got the cops involved. And so Black Dog spent the night in, in jail. And, uh, we were, we had these neighbors of ours who were basically threat, uh, waving handguns around, threatening to shoot our dog. Oh my uh, God. For nipping, nipping their child for being on our, that was on our property. And the dog was just doing what they naturally do, which is protective yeah. of, of the herd, right? They're protecting the herd. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, this child, this child was running across our, our property. And so the dog was simply saying, no, I, you, you belong over there. I'll just move you that way. Right. Anyway. So long story short, we ended up selling that house. Mm. We didn't really want to sell. We just put in a brand new kitchen and mm. it was a really nice house. Because the neighbors were waving handguns at us, we decided we didn't want to live in crazy town. So, <laughs> wow. so we put the, we put the place on the market. Now the funny thing is that the neighbor was a mortgage broker. So he worked for Countrywide. Mm. Countrywide is basically the people who created the economy. Yeah. With all of the low doc, no doc, uh, mortgages. Yeah. And this, that was what this guy did. And the funny thing was that we sold that house because of Black Dog deciding basically to be a dog. Mm. And, uh, it turned out that I think we were the last house to sell in Las Vegas before the market halved. Oh. Wow, thanks, so Black Dog. So we literally squi- – thank you, Black Dog, best financial advisor I've ever had. <laughs> so, uh, you know. That's great. <laughs> anyway. So that's my Black Dog story for the week. I promise I won't do another one next week. <laughs> How was your week, Carl? Well, I have, a, I have more to say about my week that I didn't say on last week's show. So two shows ago, I think I was in the middle of a five-day fast, or I had just started a five-day yeah. fast, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know it was five days. I was going to go for a week, but it ended mm-hmm. up being five days. And I took Megan Ramos's advice um, from the Fasting Talk podcast of putting a little salt on your tongue every two hours or so while you're fasting and directly on right. your tongue, not in water, because water is diluted mm-hmm. and uh, you can chase it down with water, but you get a bigger effect if you just take like a quarter teaspoon, she said, of, of sea salt Put it right on your tongue, under your tongue, and let it completely dissolve before you wash it down. And I did that every two hours for five days. And let me tell you, man, it's magic. 
It, it was really, yeah, it's magic. It, it got so. What of, did it do? It got rid of all my hunger, all my hunger mm-hmm. pangs wow. immediately. I wasn't hungry at mm-hmm. all. I I just felt better. I I can't yeah. explain it. It it was just like a food replacement. I began mm. to get full stomachs. You know, my stomach would be full just by drinking yeah. water. Wow. It's a very, uh, very strange and very, very cool thing. So it made me realize that I can go for five days or longer. I could have gone for longer, but I just chose to end it because I had a gig. And yeah, uh, you were gigging, right? And I had lost, I think I had lost way too much salt just setting up. And, and the salt that I was putting on my tongue wasn't enough. And I started right. to get, I started to go down the spiral. You know, you get weak and dizzy mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. And no matter how much salt you have uh, after that, it, it can, you can get really screwed up. So, so I ate there and I called it after five days, but I did full five days of nothing but black coffee in the morning, salt on the tongue every couple hours and water. And that's it. It was wonderful. Wow. There you go. Mm. Yeah. I salt ended up, is magic. I ended up losing 12 pounds. So. Well done. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. So that was my week. And uh, this is the time in the show, Richard, where we give away some stuff. Oh, yeah. Let's give some stuff away. Let's give some stuff away. And I think what we ought to do is give away James's book, The Salt Fix. Okay. Yeah. Well, James is our guest on today, James right? is our guest. He's coming right up mm-hmm. here. So mm. today's winner of the book, The Salt Fix, is mm-hmm. Paul Barton. Congratulations, Paul. Yeah. Congratulations, Paul. You just won this book, The Salt Fix, which you're going to hear about in just a few minutes, just for being a member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And anyone can sign up to the Two Keto Dudes fan club. What's the URL? The URL oh. is fanclub.twoketo.com. And just you go. answer a few questions and then you'll be in. Yep. Yep. Every week we give away stuff. So that brings us to a little segment we call... I'm low energy today. I need some salt in my diet. Yeah, you do. I think. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go first. Right. I've got a mail here, and uh, this mail comes from Demiurge on our ketogenic forums. Okay. And okay. Demiurge says, three days in, and I'm a grouch. Oh. So, days one and two, not bad. No noticeable side effects, benefits, or problems. But today, day three, I'm really, really grouchy, as in people's breathing makes me want to hit them bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I suppose it could be PMS, but it would be almost half a week early for that, and I'm not usually this irritable. Carb flu, maybe. I'm having icky tension headaches. That might be it. Anyone else tips on soothing the grouchies? Because... I don't even like being around me now. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, looking forward to settling in on the forums. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So a couple of people made a a response. Uh, Kiz says, hang in there, it'll pass, and and then you'll feel awesome. Mm. Uh, And says uh, Kiz also says, make sure you're keeping your electrolytes up, sodium, potassium, and magnesium. If you can stand it, try pickle juice. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, uh, Mike says, uh, eat lots of fat. <laughs> well, that's actually, if you're feeling low on energy mm. uh, in the early days, um, you probably your insulin is probably still high. Mm-hmm. You're probably unable to, 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 to burn fat or to, to curry fat into your mitochondria, right. long-chain fatty acids into mitochondria, yeah. So because your insulin is too high. At that point, uh, one 
basically shortcut to get fat into mitochondria is to use a short and medium chain fatty acids. Yeah, so, like a- um, I would say eat, try some coconut oil. Coconut uh, that, oil, that butter. actually helps. Or butter, it, that's if you if you have a, a, a low energy and that's mm. part of the problem. Salt is also a big deal. Yep. Try salted butter. Salted, salted butter. butter. I found some uh, salted butter, French salted, canned salted butter the other day. Huh. Oh, my God. Woo. This is delicious. Okay. It's a bird of demi-cell, uh, okay. I think they call it. So. Um, or bird demi cell. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely delicious. So uh, t- try some salted butter. Try some salted coconut oil. Mm. Good advice. <laughs> try, try some water. Yep. Uh, Christine also says it'll get better. Bone broth might help or pickle juice. Salt on the tongue a couple of times a day helped me get through. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly that's your what tip, I just Carl. said. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Megan. And, uh, yeah. Thanks, Megan. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I just want to say congratulations. Three days is pretty good. Three days and not giving up is excellent, and it does get better. Guarantee you it's going to get better. You will feel awesome. Once you can mobilize that energy and start using it, you are going to be in party mode. Yeah. Awesome. So that's my bad. What do you got, Carl? I have two things. First, a text that I just got from my good friend, Russ Festino. Do you know Russ? Okay. No, I've never met him. Russ is a longtime evangelist of Microsoft.net technologies uh, in the other uh, aspect of my career in the .NET programming mm-hmm. world. And yep. uh, I turned him on to the ketogenic diet, as did our mutual friend, Bob Familiar. And I mm-hmm. just got a text from him, down 12 pounds on the keto diet in the last four weeks. That includes yeah. That includes two weeks of travel. Feel great. Thanks wow. for turning me on to it. Loving the bacon and eggs for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trick. Bacon and eggs. <laughs> yeah, bacon and eggs. Dot com. Bacon and eggs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what I really, uh, and I, I only read that because I just got this text while we were talking here. But what wow. I really wanted to do is talk about a post in the ketogenic forum by my friend, Richard Morris. Me? <laughs> yeah. What, what have I done now? <laughs> well, this isn't show me the science. Energy restriction reduces metabolic rate in rats. Okay. And, yeah. you know, even though it's a rat study, I, I like the way sure. you interpreted it. And so, here's what Richard mm-hmm. says. Controlled study shows the drop in metabolic rate as caloric intake drops. The intervention fed 60% of the energy of the control mm-hmm. group, but equivalent essential nutrition, vitamins and minerals. After six weeks, the intervention group's total metabolic rate and basal metabolic rate as a function of their lean body mass, had dropped by 14% and 12% respectively. And this shows why calories in, calories out is not a simple function, but a mathematically chaotic one. And I thought that was an excellent conclusion to draw, because these are rats, but it does show the complexity of metabolism. Yeah, it, it shows you when you drop the energy coming in, your energy out drops as well, and it's it, it's an iterative function. So, um, all of these um, uh, mathematically chaotic uh, functions are all simple functions, right? Uh, but they iterate. That's the trick. They iterate. So, so these functions that can draw a coastline or the shape of a fern or the Mandelbrot set, mm. these are just simple two or three factor, simple iterative functions that 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 compound, right. they build on themselves, and and this is the same. The only way to look at energy, you, you really can't say, I'm going to eat X number of calories and I'm going to do X number of calories worth of work and that guarantees I'm going to 
burn X number of calories, uh, there's no way to guarantee that because how much energy you burn is based on how much energy you ate in the first place. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it literally is a chaotic function. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, I like that study because it's, it, I haven't seen a, an equivalent human study mm. other than, uh, Kevin Hall's retrospective study into the, uh, the progress of biggest losers. Right. Uh, their metabolic rates also dropped, uh, but they weren't really tracking the diets these people were eating. All they could, all they could know was that they were hypocaloric, so that they were still staying on a diet, but it wasn't as tight as they were in the in the show. They were still c- keeping a high protein diet because their RQ showed that they were eating a high protein diet, and they kept up their their exercise levels. So. Um, so we yeah. know that their metabolic rate dropped because, you know, you, you, you're decreasing the energy coming in and increasing the energy going out. Your metabolic rate has to, has to drop in response. And you brought up the Biggest Loser uh, winners. Did you know that they're getting back together for a new show? No. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll provide a link to it. And it, 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 this is from mm. the Business Insider. A new show features biggest loser winners who regained weight and reveals a deeper truth about weight loss. And I'll just read a couple of a couple of mm. paragraphs here. The truth hit Ryan Benson when he couldn't fit into a seat on his son's favorite roller coaster. He'd regained the weight he'd fought so hard to lose as a contestant on The Biggest Loser. In 2005, Benson was crowned the first winner of the popular TV show. And blah, blah, blah. He lost 122 pounds and won $250, but he's since returned to his pre-show weight. The problem wasn't unique to Benson. A 2016 study from the NIH followed more than a dozen former, that's Kevin Hall's thing, found that of the 14 people studied, 13 had regained a significant portion of the weight. And uh, so Roth is producing a new show. This was the producer, J.D. Roth called The Big mm-hmm. Fat Truth, which is set to premiere June 11th, which is the oh, recording of this show, which was yeah. two weeks ago. The program mm-hmm. seeks to highlight bad behaviors and mentalities that it suggests are responsible for participants' weight gain. In other oh, words, dear. it's their fault. Yeah, it's all. it all comes back to sin, doesn't it? Yeah. Sloth and gluttony, and maybe they can throw in a few more deadly sins. Right. Well, anyway, I'm I'm not prejudging it because I haven't seen it yet, but uh, uh, you know, basically, I want to I want everybody to watch this, and then maybe we'll comment mm. on it on the next show. But it is interesting. I, I tell you one thing: the the one person in that Biggest Loser study who who didn't look, gain all of the weight, you said that they he managed to track thirteen out of fourteen people. Yeah. That one person went on a low carbohydrate diet. Oh, really? So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. All right. And that brings us to our guest today, Richard. Yeah. Dr. James Antonio is a cardiovascular research scientist and a doctor of pharmacy at St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute in Kansas City, Missouri. A well-respected and internationally known scientist and expert on health and nutrition, James has contributed extensively to health policy and even testified in front of the Canadian Senate regarding the harms of added sugars. He serves as the associate editor of British medical journals Open Heart, 
a journal published in partnership with the British Cardiovascular Society. He's the author or co-author of approximately 200 publications in the medical literature. Wow. He's also on the editorial advisory board of several other medical journals, including Progress in Cardiovascular Diseases and International Journal of Clinical Pharmacology and Toxicology. And Dr. James has recently written a book called The Salt Fix, Why the Experts Got It All Wrong and How Eating More Might Save Your Life. Welcome, James. Thanks, guys, for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to do this. That's quite a pedigree you've got there. Thanks. I appreciate that. So, James, so what did you study at at university? Yeah, so I got my um, degree in, I'm a doctor of pharmacy. Um, So I went to the University of Buffalo, and that was a six-year program. And then a couple years later, I uh, also started doing uh, cardiovascular research at St. Luke's and also at the same time, which is about four years ago, became an associate editor of BMJ Open Heart, which is a cardiology journal. Nice. And so, Excellent. So, what, what got you into that? What was your motivation for getting into pharmacology? Yeah, um, it runs in the family. Um, actually, my great-grandfather was uh, a pharmacist and ran a few pharmacies of his own. And so, you know, it just kind of followed the footsteps of my mom and my, my older brother, who also became pharmacists. And then what led me down the path to write the salt fix was really, I was, I was into fitness pretty big in college. I wrestled, I ran cross country, and I always knew the importance of salt to fitness. And so to me, just a, you know, broad sweeping recommendation for everybody to cut their salt intake to no more than a teaspoon just never made much sense to me. Yeah. Did you kind of intuit your way to, um, Hey, what's going on here? Or, or did you actually see results of lack of electrolytes and that kind of stuff? Yeah, no. What's what's interesting is um, I, I always, I mean, I would get muscle cramping really bad if I didn't have salt. Mm. If I if I ran um, or or when I was training for wrestling, I mean, my cramps were just horrific if I didn't add in extra salt. Mm. Um, part of that being is that you sweat out so much salt. Mm-hmm. So I was went with cross country, I would train, I would run like five kilometers a day, um, probably like three or four days a week. And with wrestling, especially prior to a meet, I wouldn't eat very much. Mm-hmm. And so obviously when you're basically fasting, your insulin levels go down, um, and that causes you to lose a lot more salt in the kidneys. And we, we can get into a little bit about why people have such a difficulty starting ketogenic and low carb diets because, the insulin levels basically plummet and your kidneys start flushing out salt. And so that, that keto flu is one of the biggest barriers yeah. for people to initiate low carbon ketogenic diets. And this book is going to tell you exactly what you need to do in order to kind of break that barrier so you can get past that initial keto flu. I got to tell you that the last time I fasted, I did a five day fast. And uh, this was just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I was all only cough, black coffee in the morning and water and salt, and that's it. And I got a tip from Megan Ramos to put a quarter teaspoon of salt on your tongue about every two hours or so. And dang, if that didn't do it, it, it just gave oh, me yeah. like a superpower. It killed my hunger, and, and uh, it just works. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned caffeine. So I just published a paper in um, mind body green about how much salt we lose with caffeine it's pretty um pretty astronomical actually so when i actually started looking at the data you can lose almost a teaspoon of salt in just four hours after drinking four cups of coffee i mean an entire teaspoon right we're told to not consume any more than a teaspoon in an entire day 
and yet you consume just four cups of coffee and boom, it's, it's out in the urine. So, you know, it's a big issue because most Americans are consuming about that caffeine equivalent, which is found in four cups of coffee. And so what normally I do is I like to have obviously most of my coffee in the morning. So I'll add some salt to my pastured eggs and then I'll put like a pinch of mineral salt in my coffee and it actually cuts out the bitterness for me. I actually enjoy it. And some people can hit up to like an eighth of a teaspoon of salt in about three cups of coffee. And that seems to be like the sweet spot, so to speak. Wow. So what's the mechanism for for caffeine causing you to dump salt? Yeah, it antagonizes adenosine. So there's a medication called theophylline, which does the same thing. And that flushes, um, that basically prevents the sodium potassium ATPase in the kidneys, which allows you to reabsorb salt in the kidneys. It inhibits that transporter. So you lose the reabsorption of salt. And what's really interesting is that a lot of people think salt is damaging to the kidneys. Like it's a salt load and that's too much for the kidneys. And in fact, Salt is actually a relief on the kidneys because when you filter your blood, the salt actually comes out of your body and you have to reactively reabsorb it. Actually, the kidneys spend 60% of their entire energy in an entire day just reabsorbing salt. So if you eat a lot, it can just, yeah, it can just pass that extra salt out in the urine rather than have, having to utilize and get rid of ATP to reabsorb that salt. Wow. Unbelievable. This is mind blowing. When I was like looking into the physiology of the kidney and that the kidneys filter three and a half pounds of salt every single day and have to reabsorb all of those three and a half pounds of salt, I started thinking this is crazy that we're actually worried about a teaspoon of salt when our kidneys filter that every five minutes. So when I started learning a little bit about the physiology of the kidney and salt, it really opened my mind to, to say that, you know, salt actually is a relief on some of our organs. In your book, you have a chapter called The War Against Salt and How We Demonize the Wrong White Crystal. <laughs> so, obviously, the antithesis of we're not getting enough salt is we're eating way too much sugar. And that uh, also wreaks havoc with, um, with salt. And how does that actually work? Yeah, so that's a great question. So, kind of one of the unintended consequences of all these low-salt processed foods is that the food tastes like junk when you remove salt because salt obviously brings flavor. Mm. And so they add a a lot more sugar normally when you have these low salt versions and they throw in, they're so scared of like the most natural preservative salt that they'd rather throw in some artificial preservative, right? Like sodium phosphate or nitrate or nitrites. So you end up getting all these more harmful substances and all these low salt products. Um, And what, what ends up happening too is that Salt is our greatest antimicrobial. So if you, you can actually see that there's an increased risk of foodborne illness with these low salt versions because the, the microbial growth, um, is actually enhanced when you take the salt out. And then, of course, the expiration date of our precious bacon will go down with, with low salt versions. It actually cuts the expiration date by about 50%. Um, so there's all these unintended consequences of cutting the salt out of food that a lot of people don't even realize. And when I started researching for the book, I started saying, holy cow, these low salt products that everybody thinks is healthy is actually potentially going to cause them to eat a lot more of those processed foods because your your physiology, your body drives you to consume about between three to six grams of sodium every single day. And so if you have this low salt processed food in front of you, you might end up eating two or three times the amount of, let's say, these low salt potato chips to get the salt that your body demands. And with that comes all of those carbs and sugar, right? Which you got causes it. you to retain more salt. 
Yeah, exactly. And so there's basically five reasons why you need more salt when you're on a ketogenic or low carb diet. And one reason is that your kidneys get flushed out of salt. So there's two reasons for that. One is that when you drop the car, the refined carbohydrates, your insulin levels uh, go down. And what ends up happening is insulin actually helps the kidneys reabsorb more salt. So you, so basically when you have elevated insulin, especially in people who are overweight or have had insulin resistance for a long time, the kidneys have actually become so dependent on insulin to reabsorb salt. They can lose a gram or even more for several weeks via the kidneys. And so honestly, I mean, I've had dizzy spells. I, I get dizzy spells every now and then. Um, it never went away for me. And so, so, and I'll go into some of the other reasons why, but so you get flushed out, the kidneys flush themselves out of salt more when you cut your carbs. And, and the second reason why they do that is because you're eating more potassium and potassium is a natural, basically natriuretic. It gets rid of more salt. So insulin levels are lower, potassium levels are higher, you're losing more salt via the kidneys. You're also absorbing less salt. And the reason is, is glucose helps the body absorb salt in the intestines. So when you cut out glucose from the diet, you're actually absorbing less salt, which is pretty interesting. And you're also obviously consuming less processed foods, which have the salt in them. So people are forgetting when they go on these ketogenic diets, they're eating real food now, right? So you have to add the salt back. Mm. And the, the fifth reason why you need more salt while, while you're on a ketogenic diet is when you drop the insulin levels, that physiologic signal basically breaks the starvation mode. And so your body has more access to its stored energy. And so you have literally more energy to exercise. So now you're sweating out more salt because you have the energy to exercise. And that's why you need more salt as well when you go ketogenic. And people don't realize you're losing a ton of iodine too through sweat. And certain salts, certain natural salts have really good amounts of iodine. I cover that in my book. I have like a nutrient analysis of some of the most common salts. And I kind of compare and contrast the levels of different nutrients like calcium, magnesium, potassium, um, iodine in salt. And, and it's a, it's a huge issue and it can honestly provide such tremendous, um, benefits, not only to your workout routine by dosing yourself with salt, uh, before and during exercise, but it also is your gateway. Salt is our best way to eat real, real bitter foods that are high in magnesium and potassium. Like I always tell people, mm. my kids will not eat green, bitter greens, nuts, seeds without salt. Mm. Right. If salt is important to eat uh, and important to eat more, how about hypertension? Isn't that the big bogey that we're worried about high blood pressure if uh, people eat a high salt diet? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. That's probably the biggest question I always get is people with cardiovascular disease or hypertension, shouldn't they avoid salt? And actually, those people may be may benefit the most by adding more salt to their diet. And the reason is, is because, well, I like to take a step back and tell people that even in people with hypertension, only 45% are actually salt sensitive. So mm. the majority, 55%, actually don't have a reduction in blood pressure when they cut their salt intake. What I also try to get the message across is that the blood pressure reduction with salt restriction is not necessarily a good thing. In most cases, it's a reduction in blood volume and volume depletion. And we know that because heart rate kind of skyrockets. So we've never even thought to ourselves to say, 
is this reduction in blood pressure even a good thing? I mean, I can drain you of blood and lower your blood pressure. That doesn't necessarily mean you're healthier. Or I can tell you to only consume one cup of water yeah. and lower your blood pressure. And we know that's not healthy for the body. And that's pretty much what's going on when you cut your salt intake is mm. you're just depleting your volume, your blood volume. What also happens in hypertensive patients is their insulin resistance gets way worse. And we know that that's usually the underlying culprit of their hypertension. Mm. So you're literally driving the very underlying disease state that's causing their hypertension and making it worse. Yeah. So that's potentially why hypertensives actually can, can significantly benefit by adding more salt. And in fact, that was the very population in one study. They looked at diabetic hypertensives and they added three grams of sodium to their diet. So they consume six grams of sodium and actually basically reverse their insulin resistance. Wow. The thing that you mentioned about potassium, I've learned from Dr. Fung and Megan Ramos at uh, IDM, is that when you eat more salt, that causes your body to retain more potassium. Is that true? That is a potential true statement. So what happens when you cut your salt intake is aldosterone goes up. And so aldosterone kicks potassium out the kidneys and it also kicks magnesium. Wow. So I have uh, I have an op-ed in submission showing how low salt diets probably lead to magnesium deficiency. And one of the mechanisms is elevation in aldosterone kicking magnesium out the kidneys. And it does it, the same thing with potassium. So the antithesis um, of that is if you increase your salt intake on a ketogenic diet or on a fast, for example then you will have um, enough, mag well, maybe not enough, but you'll have more potassium and magnesium in your blood. A hundred percent. So what ends up happening is if you are, if you're basically in a sodium, a negative balance of sodium and what they, this one study that uh, showed in patients who are consuming the maximum that we're supposed to eat regarding salt. So 2,200 milligrams of sodium. Mm. These people were working out about an hour, a half hour to an hour a day. They were actually in negative uh, salt balance because they were losing so much in their sweat. And so you can lose about a half a teaspoon to an entire teaspoon of salt in your sweat every hour. Wow. And yet you're, you're told to only consume. The American Heart Association says we should only basically be eating a half a teaspoon. Yeah. And so you can lose that in just maybe a half an hour of exercise. So what happens? What ends up happening when you cut your salt intake and you're losing more and you're becoming deficient in it? The body starts pulling sodium from the bone to maintain normal sodium blood levels. Wow. Unfortunately, those little osteoclasts that are stripping the bone of sodium, they're not smart enough to say only pull sodium. They pull calcium and magnesium with them. And so that's the second mechanism how low salt diets can potentially lead to magnesium deficiency. And the third mechanism is that in order to conserve salt, you start sweating out less sodium and you start sweating out more magnesium. So these three pathways, like low salt diets, is like a triple threat to your magnesium status. In Australia, we have uh, a very low magnesium in our natural produce. So, uh, and in our diet in general, magnesium is low. So it's it pretty much everybody I know in Australia who's on a ketogenic diet is already supplementing magnesium like crazy. Um, I guess that begs the question: you know, how much salt should we be having? Um, and, uh, will that help with, uh, magne you know, magnesium deficiency? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so what, what you end up seeing is that if you restrict your sodium intake to less than 3000 milligrams a day, all these stress hormones, renin, angiotensin 2 and aldosterone, which we just said kicks out magnesium, they skyrocket. Wow. So we know from that standpoint that you're putting your body under a lot of stress 
when you cut your sodium intake to less than 3,000 milligrams. And honestly, almost all the population studies show the lowest risk of cardiovascular events between 3,000 and 6,000 milligrams of sodium, which is one and a third to two and two thirds teaspoons of salt. Um, and so that's the range that we probably should be shooting for. But honestly, your body, when it comes to salt, salt is very unique. And the cravings for salt are not like the cravings for sugar. Yeah. So you're, you're basically, your body is telling you the optimal amount of salt to eat because there needs to be an optimal level in the blood. It's an essential mineral. And just like water intake is controlled by our thirst, salt intake is controlled by the body. And so you really want to listen to your salt thermostat, your salt cravings, because some people are, people are different. Some people are losing way more salt because they have damage to their kidneys. Mm. Some people are exercising more and need more salt. Some people have damage to the intestine and don't absorb salt very well. Mm. So you need to listen to your own salt cravings. They are way smarter than any type of dietary guideline. This It's funny that you should say that because on this show, we talk a lot about sugar cravings and carb cravings as opposed to protein cravings or salt cravings or just being really hungry. And I think that most people who eat this Western diet live with more of an addiction response to, to carbohydrates more than hunger. And so they feel like they can't trust their bodies because their bodies mislead them into eating, you know, pizza and garbage and crap and stuff like that. But it's really an addiction response, the brain thing. And if you cut that out and you get over your sugar addiction, get over your carbohydrate addiction, you can start to feel in, in trust again those uh, cravings in your in your body that aren't actually helpful in telling you. And it's amazing how the relationship, for me anyway, to my own metabolism, my own body changed. And I learned to trust my cravings rather than, you know, be feel like they were going to betray me. That's such a great, honestly, that is exactly how I feel. So you can start trusting your cravings again, because what ends up happening with the dependence on sugar is there's two types of addictive like changes that happen in the body. One of them happens in the brain. And so when you constantly activate dopamine with these surges of sugar, mm. you're basically, when you're not eating sugar, you're in a dopamine deficiency state in the brain. And so that can lead to withdrawal type symptoms. Yeah. And also you are in this physiological type of addictive state, meaning you you have these sugar crashes that are constantly like making you making you crave sugar and you're in this vicious cycle yeah. and your insulin is so high that it's so hard to access your energy so it literally is that pretty much you are addicted to sugar because it's one of the only it's basically the only macronutrient you can utilize efficiently while insulin levels are elevated you also get an opioid reward when you eat sugar don't you 100% yeah just yeah, like basically cocaine. sugar Sugar addiction is um, ad an addiction to your endogenous production of opioids is exactly what, what happens with um, when you become dependent on sugar. Right. So you cut that out. You can trust your body again. That, that was the whole point. It, you got it. Yeah. So I've got a question. How do we get this all so wrong? If we really have a, a requirement every day for, for salt and we've got appetite and uh, cravings and, and satiety signaling uh, that's going to tell us the appropriate amount of salt to have. How do we get the science so wrong on this? Honestly, such a great question. That was the first question I wanted to answer when I first started writing the salt fix is like, where did this low salt dogma even come from? And honestly, all our nutritional whiplash that we're dealing with now stems from the, those 1977 dietary goals. 
that told mm-hmm. all Americans to eat a high carb, low fat diet, and also told all Americans to restrict their salt intake. And it was honestly just based on a few opinions. Mm-hmm. And that is just carried over to the 1980 dietary guidelines and that low salt dogma carried over to every five year update of the dietary guidelines. Oh, so it comes from uh, you know, what's interesting is that when those dietary goals came out, the first systematic review of the blood pressure effects of salt didn't even occur until 15 years later. So we demonized this ingredient before we ever even had any evidence. Wow. So another interesting chapter in your book is we are starving inside. What do you exactly mean by that? Basically, you're starving to grab your own fat stores for energy and um, and being able to break down muscle for protein because insulin levels are elevated, locking your stored energy inside the cell. And so that's almost, it's like the semi-cellular starvation. You can't even access your own stored fuel. Um, and basically, low-salt diets are, I kind of compare salt as like the opposite of sugar. Mm. And salt good, sugar bad. Mm. And s- <laughs> when you cut your salt intake, it causes insulin resistance and elevates insulin levels like dramatically. People don't even realize this. So if you look at fasting insulin levels, they go up by about 20% when you cut your salt intake. And I've seen insulin AUCs go up 70% on a low salt diet. So is this based on your own observations or are there studies that confirm it? There, yeah, no, it's, it's based on the actual clinical literature. There's like, there's actually a meta analysis of randomized trials in humans. 19 randomized control trials showed that low salt diets elevate, significantly elevate fasting insulin wow. levels. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Pretty- and we definitely have to share that in the notes. Yeah, I mean, the mechanisms are really cool, too. Um, what ends up happening when you go low salt, the blood flow to the liver gets reduced. And so the breakdown of insulin is reduced. Hmm. And then there's these GLUT4 receptors that get um, basically, when you eat more salt, the GLUT4 receptors are upregulated in your muscle and in your fat. So you can pull more glucose out of the blood when you're eating more salt. Yeah. And so we know that when you have a higher glucose level, you have to have a higher insulin level to match that. So those are some of the mechanisms. Um, but what also happens is the kidneys need that extra insulin to reabsorb salt when you're on a low salt diet. Yeah. So that's why insulin levels increase as well. Wow. I think I'm going to start adding salt to coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try it out. Go go um, low, start slow, you know, and, 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 and titrate up to, you know, what tastes good for you. But, uh, you know, some people just like a pinch and other people can get up to an eighth of a teaspoon. Now, what kind of salt do you recommend people take? Because I hear things about pink Himalayan salt and sea salt and all of these other crazy salts. And, you know, the salt business has gone absolutely bonkers lately. But what do you recommend? Yeah, that's a great question. So let me address some of the uh, more common salts that are being consumed out there, right? So Celtic sea salt is great for magnesium. It's our one of our highest sea salts uh, for magnesium. It, you can get about 40 milligrams in about 10 grams of salt for Celtic sea salt. And honestly, most people are only consuming 200 milligrams of magnesium in a day. So if you're getting 40 milligrams from salt, that's 20% almost, you know what I mean? So that's a good amount. Now, now did you say Celtic, Celtic sea salt? Celtic sea salt. Yeah, it's like a gray salt. C-E-L-T-I-C? Like Celtic? You got it. Okay. Like Celtic, yeah. All right. The Himalayan salt is definitely better than table salt. And the reason is, is because it, it does have some iodine. It's your highest potassium salt. So there, there can be, you know, up to about 40 milligrams of potassium 
in about 10 grams of Himalayan salt. But honestly, it's so expensive, right? Yeah. Like Himalayan salt is like 10 times like what you would have to pay for table salt. Um, so it's kind of like finding the right balance. But I like salts from ancient dried up ocean beds. Um, there's one called Redmond Real Salt. And the reason is, is because these modern day ocean salts have all the pollution and the micro, right. um, there's these like microplastics that have literally been tested in salts from modern day oceans. It's, it kind of sucks that our own pollution is contaminated like modern day ocean salts. So there are these ancient dried up ocean beds that you can grab less polluted salts from. And Redmond Real Salt is from um, an ancient dried up ocean bed in Utah. And so that's the salt that I eat. And it's got really good levels of iodine as well. So that's that's basically my number one recommended salt. I just clicked place your order on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> Before Appreciate everybody that. else buys it all out, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, seriously. Wow. Yeah, no, that's uh, and it come in. It doesn't look like like salt should not be white and, and table salt mm. is bleached white and it's got anti-caking agents. They actually put sugar in mm. in table salt, which is crazy. It's it's not the sugar that you would think it's dextrose. Yeah. But still, like who who wants that in their salt? Right. I don't want any O's. No O's. <laughs> no O's for me. Hey, what is this thing about iodine? I hear people tell me that, you know, iodine deficiencies are responsible for the world's ills. How how much does an iodine deficiency contribute to all of this, all these problems? Yeah, it, it's a big issue. 54 countries are still iodine deficient. And part of the reason is it's hard to get iodine in the diet unless you're eating cranberries, dairy. Um, or fish too, seaweed, right? Like fish can give you some, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, but honestly, not a lot of people eat fish uh, on a pretty frequent basis. And so it can be difficult to reach your iodine, uh, your iodine goals. I have this conflict that, um, I don't want to eat fish because it's more becoming more and more polluted yeah. all the time. And we need fish so much, but, but you know, there's a real pollution problem. And so I don't really trust fish anymore. It's sad. It is sad. It's like the same thing with salt, right? You can't even trust salt from modern day oceans anymore. And, and I agree. I mean, honestly, I get most of my omega threes from supplements from high quality, uh, supplements that are third party tested because of that issue that you just mentioned. Um, but another big issue that, that people don't realize they're losing iodine every day in sweat. Um, you can lose up to a hundred micrograms of iodine per hour of exercise. And we're supposed to be consuming 150 per day. So you can see if you're exercising an hour a day, you could easily become iodine deficient if you're not supplementing that back. And so salt is your best way to do that. So I've heard that uh, seaweed is high in iodine. Is that true? That's true. Mm -hmm. So that could be a good supplement. I mean, I, I also have uh, fish oil every day um, just to get my omega-3s in. Uh, even though I do try and eat fish at least once a week, I think Stephen Finney reckons you should eat fish at least three times a week, or if you don't, then then you, you, you really should supplement. So, um, uh, But I do also eat seaweed as much as I can, uh, probably uh, twice or three times a week I'll have a, a seaweed snack. Richard, it also might explain the, the sort of the Japanese paradox where you know they eat a lot of rice and carbohydrates in the rice but they also eat a lot of seaweed and fish and have low incidence of heart disease yeah, yeah no that's exactly right um i published something in huffington post on that so basically they're you know why do the japanese why can they tolerate a lot more carbohydrate mm. than we can mm. they're they're definitely more active mm -hmm. they have a much lower omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. So they're consuming a lot less vegetable oils and a lot more omega-3s. And people might not think that's a big deal, mm. but I, pu I published a paper 
in BMJ Open Heart, how, how the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio absolutely drives obesity. And there's so many reasons why, but that is potentially one one reason why the Japanese can tolerate more more carbohydrate. But they also eat a lot less added sugar than we do in the United States as well. Mm. So there's like a, a like a triple threat why they can right. they can tolerate more carbs than us. So I heard a theory about the Japanese uh, populations that uh, the the because of the the people who made it to the Solomon Sea Islands and the Hawaiian Islands, the the Melanesian people all all came through that route, and those that that were able to eat a lot of carbohydrate without putting a lot of a lot of body fat didn't make it to the further islands. They weren't able to store enough energy to become sort of partially therapeutically diabetic sufficient to be able to row to the next island. Mm. Those that were able to uh, uh, safely tolerate carbohydrates without putting on a lot of body fat ended up staying <laughs> staying back. That's so, so interesting. It's a it's a it's a, it's. I, I found I fa- I find these kinds of things these kinds of Little pieces of trivia, fascinating. I can't get them out of my head. Yeah, but uh, what, anyway, that uh, when people come up to you uh, with criticism, you know, um, but what about this? But what about that? I mean, we already talked about a lot of the myths, but what what is the the sort of the biggest uh, th- complaint or misunderstanding that people have that you still have to assure people is is not true? Probably. Um water retention and increase in blood pressure with salt. Mm. If you, if you're swelling when you consume salt, there's an underlying issue. It's, it's not the salt that's causing the swelling right. because swelling means that salt is leaching from the blood into the, generally from the blood into the interstitial fluid causing the swelling. Mm. And so there's all these factors that cause your blood vessels to be, um, more leachy and where the salt can start leaching into the interstitial fluid and you get the swelling in your legs and things like heart failure and chronic kidney disease can cause that. And also the high insulin levels can cause you to over retain salt. So mm. don't blame salt for what sugar did. Don't blame salt for what the processed food did. Yeah. I still have to continually hammer that into people's heads mm. because some people say when I eat salt, I might, you know, my legs might swell or my blood pressure may go up. Mm -hmm. And generally I tell them, well, maybe you didn't fix the insulin resistance or maybe you have some underlying issue. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because our bodies are salty, right? We are literally, we are like walking oceans. Right. And I kind of cover that in my book. So how could salt be bad if our body is bathed in salt? It's the underlying disease state that's causing you not to be able to no longer handle like your internal salty sea anymore. Do you have a, a website? Uh, James, where people can go and read the studies that your work is based on? Yeah, people can go to my, my website, which is thesaltfix.com, and they can purchase the book, and they can read the over 500 references in my book. That's amazing. Well, the book is called The Salt Fix, Why the Experts Got It All Wrong and How Eating More Might Save Your Life. And it just came out a few weeks ago, June 6, 2017. Congratulations on your work and your book, and and thank you for helping to save lives. Thanks so much, guys, for having me. It was awesome. All right, thanks. Wow, Richard, I'm I have a new appreciation for salt. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be adding salt into my yeah. espressos every day. I didn't understand so many things, especially caffeine leaches salt, and and I had heard about potassium right. being retained, but magnesium too. I mean, it's right. just brilliant. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I have to get a copy of that book. 
because the if if I can improve my insulin sensitivity yeah. simply by adding more salt to my diet or by moderating uh, my mm. my my salt intake, that would be awesome. Yeah. If I could modify my insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity by simply mm. moderating my salt intake, that would be outstanding. In addition to the stuff that we already know, now we mm. know some new things and we're going to put it to use and see what happens. I can't wait for the next recording. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah. until then, I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> I want to make some recipes. Recipes. I think we need some recipes with salt in them. Me too. You got any? I do. Mm, what you got? I haven't done this, but I've seen it, and I can tell you that the results are astounding. Uh, I'm going to do it now, but I've always been yeah. a little afraid. It's whole fish baked in a salt crust. Ah, uh, yeah. I've seen that too. Yeah, an Iron Chef. Yeah. In particular, yeah, yeah. Mario Batali. And so, this is Mario Batali's recipe on foodnetwork.com for whole fish baked in a salt crust. Here are the ingredients. One whole fish. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, a uh, whole three-pound fish, such as a snapper, bream, sea bass, or porgy. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, a, a white fish is going to be good. Yeah. Uh, four egg whites, two cups of kosher salt, one bunch of fresh thyme, four tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, and one lemon cut into wedges. This is a keto dish. Yeah. Don't they use flour as well sometimes when they make this? I've never seen it done with flour, but then again, I only saw it once or twice on TV, right? Okay. So here's what he says. Yeah. Preheat the oven to 450 Fahrenheit. Or 230 Celsius. Awesome. Clean and gut the fish. Remove the top and bottom fins. Scale and remove the gills. Yep. Whisk the egg whites to soft peaks and fold in the salt. The place the thyme in the body cavity and set aside. Place four tablespoons of egg white mixture on a large platter suitable for oven-to-table use. Place fish on top of the mixture and spoon the remaining mixture over the top of the fish. Place the fish and the platter in the oven and bake for 25 to 30 minutes. Remove and strike the crust to crack. Whack it with a spoon. Wow. Carefully remove the salt crust from the top of the fish and divide the flesh among the two plates. And divide the flesh among two plates. Served with serve with good oil and lemons, and he that says, sounds an, "Good, yeah." He says an excellent accompaniment would be an arugula and tomato salad, and I couldn't agree more. Mario I've Vitale. seen that done in clay, in a salted clay, huh. uh, and it's made of flour and and water and salt. But hmm. doing it with egg whites or doing it with beaten eggs mm. sounds wonderful. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a really good way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it's so easy. I, I'm. Definitely going to try mm. this when I get back from uh, Norway yeah, next week. Yeah, nice. Yep. So I've done fish in a paper bark um, All right. before, which is an Australian uh, – it's, it's basically a bark from a tree that comes off and it looks like layers of, of paper. I've done that before, which is a which is a French technique using Australian bush tucker food. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I've got to try this salt, salt technique. Yeah, yeah, me that too. That sounds really good. Yep. So, Richard, what's your salty recipe this Mine's week? Mine's more of a seaweedy recipe. Ah. What I do is I buy roasted nori uh, sheets from Costco, and they, it comes in a big in a big uh, and it comes in a big packet of small packets, each with about thirty or so sheets of nori in it. Wow. And, I only and nori eat, is seaweed, uh, at right? Any one time. Yeah, it's a Japanese seaweed. Right. That's yeah. what they roll uh, sushi in sometimes. 
That's what you roll, but but that's not a roasted. That's a that's a, a raw okay. uh, nori. This is roasted, so it's it's almost like it flakes apart, oh, like a if cracker. You, if you break it, yeah. And I use it like a cracker. So mm. what I do is I, uh, and uh, they have some carbs. So it's uh, has uh, I think five sheets of roasted nori flakes has one gram of carbon. Oh, that's not bad. So not a lot, but yeah, it's not too bad. Uh, so I use these as a snack if I'm feeling like I need some salt. What I do is I start with a sheet of nori mm-hmm. and I put a slice of cheese on it. So mm. I, I, I slice some, some cheddar or, a, you know, a nice, a nice, uh, piquant cheese, not a soft one, right. a hard cheese. Right. And then, or manchego would be good. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, any of the, uh, you could use comte or emmental, any of those cheeses. Mm. Parmesan. If you can, if if you have a young parmesan that you can slice, you can hold a slice together. Yeah. Because what what we're going to do is we're going to start with the nori flake on the bottom. Yep. We're going to put a slice of cheese on top of yep. that. We're going to spread some Vegemite on top of that. Ah. A very small smear of Vegemite. Now Vegemite is this Australian yeast extract. Right? You could use Marmite, uh, which is more uh, available in American uh, uh, locations. It's Australian but, peanut butter. Um, <laughs> it's it kind of is, but it's really salty, it's really and salty. it's full of it's full of B vitamins. Yeah. It's, it's just basically um, uh, it's it's the dredge leftover of making beer. Yeah, right. <laughs> but anyway, so and then on top of that, Vegemite. Uh, so we have the nori sheet on the bottom. We have cheese on top of that. We have a smear of Vegemite on top of that. We have another slice of nori flake on top of that. Mm. And it's a little sandwich. It's a little seaweedy, umami, mm. salty, cheesy nice. snack. That that really takes the Very place nice. of cheese you and crackers, need, really. It kind of does. And you only need one or two of those. Yeah. I mean, that one or two of those with a cup of tea, that, that sort of keeps me going in the night when I need when I feel like I need something salty. You know, I'm going to go out and get some of that when I get back again. Well, I have a, a, my list is growing. <laughs> 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 This is what happens. Post Norway shopping list. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, that's the show. We got our recipes, we got our mail, we got our guests. Yep. Of course, if you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, or some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on our website. And while you're at it, register for KetoFest at KetoFest.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2KetoDudes, on Instagram at 2KetoDudes, and make sure to use the hashtag 2KetoDudes with the number 2. And of course, if you want to join our forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, you know, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And join the Two Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.twoketo.com. And if you feel like supporting our podcast and our forums, hit the donate button on our website at www.twoketodudes.com or just go to donate.twoketo.com. You can also see our podcast and other videos on YouTube at youtube.twoketo.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a great review on iTunes. Yeah. Keep calm and keto on, brother. Now keep coming, keto on, Carl. All right. We'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. <laughs>